If you would again uh, take out your Bibles, and I would invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John chapter 3, and we will uh, read through verse 21, but we're going to focus in on the first 12 verses, which means you'll have to come back for for the rest of it. But uh, there's so much here uh, to look at that we'll have to to break this up a little bit. So we're going to read John chapter 3, 1 through 21, but we'll focus on uh, verses 1 through 12. So again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Pay careful attention to the reading of it. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We ask, O oh God, now that you would help us to pay careful attention to the preaching of it. Be with this your servant, 
We pray, O oh God, that as the Word is preached today, we, that we may learn from You. May we understand this passage, may we apply it, and may we give all glory to our Savior Jesus. We pray, O oh God, that You would till deeply in our hearts with Your Word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before us today is a, another well-known passage. Um, one that we often repeat, one that we, we, we just know very well. We know about the concept of being born again. But sometimes familiarity with a passage causes us to miss some important aspects of it. We will see this again when we look at John 3.16. Things that are familiar to us, sometimes we are so familiar that we miss some things. In our passage today is the familiar phrase, born again. Now what does this mean? Now the term gained popularity in uh, American nomenclature in the mid-20th century after Charles Colson, advisor to President Nixon, who had been involved in the Watergate scandal, was converted to Christ and he wrote a book called Born Again. Subsequently, many evangelicals refer to themselves as born-again Christians. Now, R.C. Sproul, uh, in thinking about this, pointed out that really this is a redundancy because if you are a Christian, you are born again. If you are truly a Christian, you are born again. Everyone in Christ who is trusting and resting in Christ has been born again. This is because, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, it is the Spirit of God who applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And to be a Christian is to be born from above. To have been radically transformed inwardly. And given a new life in Christ. Our eyes having been opened, though previously we were blind. But now we see, where we had been deaf to the gospel of God, we now hear. There's been a radical heart change which has taken place. That that heart of stone has been removed and a heart of flesh has been given as we read in Ezekiel. This is what it is to be born again in Christ. And this is the point that John wants his readers to understand about the gospel. This is the point that Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand. Now in the previous section, which we had looked at last week, that section ended with people seeing signs which Jesus was doing and believing. But their belief was based on seeing those signs, not on the content of the teaching of Jesus. And so as we read there that Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knows the heart of men. He he didn't need anyone to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And now, the one who knows all men's hearts was about to enter into a number of conversations in which he instantly gets to the heart of the individual that he's speaking with. And so this is really the first of a number of conversations that our Lord gets into, where he gets to the heart. Here he's speaking with Nicodemus, 
a Pharisee, a, a ruler and teacher of Israel. Next we'll see the Samaritan woman at the well. He gets to the heart, her heart. We see the Gentile officer and finally the man at the pool at Bethsaida. In all of these, Jesus speaks directly to their heart because Jesus knows the heart of men. And getting to the heart, he also reveals something of the gospel and the coming of the kingdom of God. And so today we begin with verse 1 with Nicodemus, a ruler who, was, who, who uh, Jesus calls the teacher in Israel. And so we read, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, we might ask this question, what sort of man is Nicodemus? Is he one who truly believes in the Lord, or is he like those we'd seen in the previous passage or the previous section, those who saw the signs that were performed but didn't really believe? I mean, he says they believed, but Jesus, knowing the hearts of men, doesn't trust himself. Is, is Nicodemus like that? Is he, does he have true faith, or is he like those who see things and you know, sort of want to get on the bandwagon? And one helpful bit to help us in determining this is a, a small conjunctive particle in the Greek, day. Now this is typically rendered as and or but in most of our modern translations. You'll notice now. It's the very first word, in fact, in the text. Now. However, but is probably a better uh, translation. And that's because there's a contrast here. In other words, Nicodemus stands in contrast to the people that had just been described in the previous chapter. Nicodemus represents the kind of person who saw the signs which Jesus performed and believed in him. He's in contrast to those who saw the signs, but only allegedly believed. He believed with a faith, true faith. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a ruler among the Jews. And he he came to Jesus at night. And Jesus agrees to meet with Nicodemus at night. Which really, in a sense, is entrusting himself to Nicodemus. There were many, we know, who had received Jesus falsely. or, Or had rejected him outright. But there were always those who were the exception to that. Nicodemus is an example of that exception. One who saw the signs, but yet truly believed. Though with Nicodemus, we must say, not without some confusion and difficulty. Now, a few other things we should note about Nicodemus. Uh, First of all, you can note that his name is actually a common Greek name, which has been then transliterated and made into a Jewish name. And he was a man of the Pharisees, he was a ruler among the Jews, and that is to say that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. That is the highest legislative body among the Jews. Now John doesn't tell us why Jesus came to Nicodemus at night. Uh, There's a few possibilities that we could presume. Uh, uh, Did he come because rabbis would often debate with one another long into the night? Perhaps this was a, an opportunity for uh, you know, uh, Nicodemus to have a little one-on-one time with Jesus as a, as a fellow rabbi. 
Uh, There are some who might think he came under the cloak of darkness so as not to attract criticism from um, fellow Sanhedrin members. We don't know what, what the reason that he comes is. Again, there's, there's plenty of possibilities. But we can note this. Jesus, uh, John, rather, uses night. The evangelists often use these terms light and darkness as metaphors for one's moral or spiritual state. As one commentator put it, doubtless Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, but his own night was blacker than he knew. And so Nicodemus comes and he addresses Jesus this way. Notice how he addresses him. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus himself is a teacher of of some eminence. And yet, he, he addresses Jesus as like a colleague. He calls him rabbi. And Nicodemus, we can note, does not treat Jesus dismissively as many of his fellow, fellow Sanhedrin members do. Uh, he's respectful, though perhaps a bit curious. He recognizes in Jesus something of importance. And in fact, he admits that no one else could do what you're doing unless they're sent from God. Now, this is not a confession of Jesus' pre-existence. It's a recognition that Jesus is not an ordinary teacher. Nicodemus understands that, at least. God was clearly with him because of the signs that he was performing. Much like Moses or any of the other prophets, Nicodemus saw something in Jesus which was special. Now, on one level, Nicodemus perceived something of truth about Jesus. And yet, on another level, Nicodemus really fails to understand the consequences of that truth. He confesses that Jesus is a teacher sent from God. This is true. Yet, this is a far cry from being a prophet from God much less the promised Messiah and the Lamb of God who who was sent to take away the sin of the world. And so though Nicodemus is recognizing something of Jesus, we can also note he doesn't really see quite enough. And so Nicodemus has approached Jesus. He's treated him like a colleague, like a fellow teacher of importance. But you'll, you'll notice that he hasn't actually asked any formal questions yet. Perhaps we might say that his statement at least has an implied question. Something like, well, so who are you exactly? I, we, we, know, we know that no one could do the things that you do unless they're sent from God, but who, who are you exactly? That, that could be sort of implied in the statement. Whatever the case is, Jesus' Jesus's response to Nicodemus's opening statement gets straight to the heart. And Jesus does this. He gets straight to the heart of the matter. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, first of all, you'll know that Jesus invites Nicodemus to pay close attention to whatever he's about to say. Hence the statement, truly, being repeated. Amen, amen in Greek. And Jesus, you'll notice, not answering 
Nicodemus' implied question even, or his sort of unasked question, but really he's beginning to question Nicodemus' ability to sort spiritual things out. One must truly be born from above in order to see the kingdom of God. Now remember again the, the larger context. Remember that there had been demands from the temple authorities that Jesus perform a sign which would demonstrate that he had the authority to come into the temple and to cleanse it the way he had done. But they they had been demanding these signs. And Nicodemus, like any of the other Jewish um, leaders, was, was desiring to set up the criteria which could validate Jesus' credentials. Nicodemus had seen something of who Jesus is and the signs which he had performed. But Jesus says that no one can see God and his kingdom unless he's born again. And so even the display of signs and wonders, which which anyone could have seen, those, those don't really matter. It is the spiritual state of the individual which is of more importance. One must be born again. We fail sometimes to appreciate the, the seemingly radical nature of what Jesus is saying here. You know, we're so used to hearing born again. That Christ has come will have little impact on an individual if he or she has not been inwardly transformed by the Spirit. Even in our own day, many are looking for signs of Jesus' return. They're, they're looking you know, in Revelation, and they're looking in their Bibles, and they're trying to predict when He's going to come. But Jesus is meaningless for them if they haven't considered whether they themselves are born again, whether they are in Christ or not. Now you note that the kingdom of God is mentioned both in verse 3 and in verse 5. These refer to the heavenly places. That is to say, the dwelling place of God from which He rules and reigns the universe. Only those who have been born from above, those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, those who have been made new creatures in Christ, those who are members of the invisible church, having been predestined from before all creation, only those who are truly in Christ by faith will come into the kingdom. Now, of course, Nicodemus and the other Jewish leaders might be able to see signs that Jesus did, but those are of little use to them if they have not been inwardly transformed. Now there is a question, by the way, about what exactly Jesus meant in this verse. Does he say born again, or actually should it be born from above. Now, the adverb used here can actually mean both. It can be, mean both born again and born from above. Now, we've taken it to be born again because of Nicodemus, but I've pondered whether it's actually because of Nicodemus's misunderstanding that is taken that way, because Jesus speaks of it somewhat differently, although we could say that they both basically both mean the basic same thing. Now, we obviously can see that Nicodemus took it to mean born again. Either way, the basic message is the same. Every human being has a natural birth. This is obvious. 
But in addition, there's also the necessity of spiritual birth in order to see the kingdom. This is the point that Jesus, uh, Jesus is making. As John Calvin put it, by the phrase, born again, is expressed not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. There's a, there's a wholesale change. The Christian, then, is one whose entire nature has been changed. Having been given a new heart, a new spirit in them. To be born again is to be born from above. And to be born from above is to be born again. For both phrases have to do with becoming children of God. Being regenerated. Having true saving faith. And so when Jesus insists that rebirth is necessary for one to see the kingdom, now we can see Nicodemus is incredulous to this. He simply cannot understand what Jesus is talking about. Regeneration was not in his purview. He simply could not understand that rebirth was necessary for entrance into God's kingdom. Now, you might think, well, why, why is Nicodemus so troubled by this? Well, he's an Israelite who trusted in God's law and promises. This is the categories in which he thought in, maybe exclusively. I mean, what would be the, the use of rebirth? I mean, in his mind, I, I follow the law. I'm obedient to the law. What, I mean, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? And so Nicodemus responds with a somewhat crass and literalistic interpretation of what Jesus said. And by the way, this is the sort of thing that you and I do all the time, don't we? Particularly when we hear something we don't really like. We kind of know what they're getting at and we don't like it, so we, we're overly literalistic to make them seem ridiculous. I think that's a little bit of what's going on here with Nicodemus. He says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I I mean, I hear my kids saying things like this, right? I hear myself saying things like this sometimes. Whatever level of misunderstanding Nicodemus had, Jesus restates the case. Look at verse 5. Truly, truly, again, amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what Jesus does here is repeat and then expand his earlier statement. One must be born of water and the Spirit in, in, in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Now we must, as we, as we look at this, we must ask, what does this mean? And then how does this relate to being born again or being born from above? And by, by the way, you should note that these are parallels. These two passages are parallels. It's going to help you in terms of interpreting it properly. Now, there, there's a number of theories in terms of what this means. Um, the water and spirit. Uh, some have suggested that this has to do with natural birth and supernatural birth. It's one possibility. Others connect water with baptism and thus make baptism a requirement for regeneration. That's, of course, problematic. Still, others have suggested that water represents the Torah or the Jewish teachings and traditions about God and in some cases, seeing water represented, uh, represents ceremonial washings. So there's a number of theories kind of put forward. 
In order for us to understand what Jesus means here, there are three factors that we need to consider. Three factors which we should consider so that we can understand and interpret this properly. First of all, the expression, born of water and spirit. In verse 5, I've already noted this, this is parallel to verse 3's born again or born from above. And because this is the case, because these are parallels, one birth is in view, not two. Okay, so there's a unity here. Okay, that's number one. Second, the the preposition of, in Greek it's ek, governs both water and spirit. So it's born of water and spirit. Right, it's not of water and of spirit. Okay, so this one preposition is controlling both of those. And so water and spirit are grammatically connected. And so a natural reading would be to see the phrase as a conceptual unity. In other words, a water-spirit birth. So it's a conceptual unity. Water-spirit, which serves as the origin of regeneration. Okay, that's number two. Three, we should take note that Jesus... chastises Nicodemus because he doesn't understand. He does this in verse 10. Nicodemus is rebuked by Jesus for not understanding this. That is significant. Nicodemus is a teacher in Israel. And so this actually causes us to say, huh, we need to look at our Old Testament. Because this is what Nicodemus would have known, and if he should have known it, then there's something in the Old Testament which is going to help answer the questions for us here. Okay, so that's the third thing, right? We, we see, because of Jesus' statement to Nicodemus, there's something here Nicodemus should have known, thus the answer must be in the Old Testament. That's where we're going to find our answer about water and spirit. And so looking then at the Old Testament, we see that the spirit is a principle of life. We see this actually in Genesis at creation. The Old Testament also looks forward to a time when God's Spirit would be poured out on humanity. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The result of this pouring of the Spirit will be blessing and righteousness and inward renewal and peace. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Water is also used figuratively for renewal and washing and inward cleansing. One passage that uses water and spirit in parallel lines is Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring. See the parallel, water and spirit. I will pour out my spirit upon the offspring and my blessings on your descendants. And so God will bring life-giving renewal to this land. He will bring waters. He will bring streams of water to a dry land. He will then pour out His Spirit upon the children of Israel. He will bring blessing to them. Another passage which provides further context to what Jesus is speaking about and which Nicodemus should have been aware of is Ezekiel chapter 36. We read this earlier, but go ahead and turn there again. Ezekiel chapter 36. 
I will read again verses 25 through 27. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully to obey my rules. Notice how Ezekiel uses water and spirit there. The cleansing water sprinkled out upon the people. And you see the picture of that, the cleansing of the people. What are they being cleansed from? What is their uncleanness? Sin. Idolatry. We, we read about what, what they were doing. The people were going after all the idols. And even the other nations were like, wait a minute, you're, you're supposed to be the Lord's people. And you've and you're been kicked out of your own land because of your idolatry. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cleanse you by idolatry. Now, what does idolatry have to do with? Idolatry has to do with worship. Worshiping that which is not God. That's what the people have been doing. They've been worshiping other gods. They've been worshiping that which has eyes, but cannot see, and has ears, but cannot hear. And the hearts of the people were far away. Even as their lips were claiming to follow the Lord, their hearts were far away. There are many in our own day like this, aren't there? And God says, He will cleanse them from their uncleanness. He will wash them. He will sprinkle water on them. And He will give them new hearts. And He will give them a new spirit. And what they're getting is a new beginning. They're being born from above. God is doing this. The people were to experience a decisive inner transformation where their entire life has a seismic shift. And it's God who is doing this. Now, these concepts are not new to the New Testament. Often we we think about these as, as New Testament sort of concepts, but they're not new. These are found in the Old Testament. The prophets spoke of these things. And so now, back, going back to the Gospel of John again, Jesus is powerful, powerfully bringing together these concepts, water and spirit, to depict the washing from uncleanness and sin and the transformation of the human heart, which would then allow the people of God to follow after Him wholeheartedly. And the transformation spoken of in Ezekiel in Isaiah, in Joel, and other places, but specifically here in Ezekiel, what we read in Ezekiel, that passage comes immediately before the prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, that is, that is no accident. Because there, God gives life to that which is very, 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 very dead. That's the point, actually. In the Hebrew, it's actually like that. Very, very dead. Very, very dry bones. They've been dead for a long time. God is the one who gives life. And so Nicodemus, okay? Nicodemus, he's, here he is. He's the teacher of Israel. He 
he should have understand he should have understood water and spirit in terms of the internal cleansing of God's people. He should have understood that this is the work that God promised that he would do. This should not have been a new concept for him. Water and spirit parallel rebirth, regeneration, renewal, the new heart, a new spirit, being cleansed, being given a new start, as it were. The dry and dead bones of men are given life. These are all the concepts that, have, that we speak about when we speak about spiritual transformation. The cleansing of water and spirit then is speaking of that eschatological, that is uh, looking toward the end of all things, that, that cleansing, that renewal which had been promised in the Old Testament. All At the end of all things in glory, you and I will be new men, as it were, with new hearts and new spirit, totally, completely renewed and regenerated. And now we look, we look forward to that, right? We look forward to that day. We, we live in the already but not yet. And so the prophets back in the Old Testament, they were calling the people of God back to obedience and faith with a promise that God would renew them, would transform them. And in Christ, we have been transformed. We have been renewed. And we will finally and completely be in the new heavens and new earth. And so it's clear from his reaction, that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, as a, as a teacher, well, he hadn't thought about this before. It's as if he had never heard of, heard of this. His own perplexion may have been because he had never really considered the need for his own repentance and renewal by God. It's almost like, well, that's for all those sinners, but not for me. He hadn't really applied it to himself before. He had been trusting in his own personal obedience before God. And yet he, like every other human being on this planet, needs that water spirit rebirth. This is what is needed in order to enter into the kingdom. God must act. Now Jesus goes on in verse 6 to make a comparison. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is is spirit. You should note that Jesus' use of flesh doesn't carry with it the sinful nature which Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses in his epistles. He's just, he's just simply describing uh, simple human nature, earthiness, as it were. Man's physical being. That which is flesh comes from flesh. The children of mankind are of man. But the spirit, only the spirit can give birth to the spirit. Here is what is in view. What is in view here is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God which produces spiritual life in men. And so the comparison then is not between higher forms and lesser forms of human existence, but what, but the distinction between God and man. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He doesn't have a body like men. Man is body and spirit. Man is finite, has a beginning, and changes. 
So for, for human beings to be born of the Spirit, then, is to experience a change in status, to become children of God. The eternal Word Himself being God, having taken on flesh. The water, spirit, renewal, and rebirth, then, must originate from God. And that's the point. This is the point that, that is being driven home. Here you have Nicodemus thinking, I have my own personal righteousness. And Jesus says, no. No, you need to be born of water spirit, and it can only come from God. That, I mean, that just totally uproots Nicodemus' life, if you think about that, right? His whole, his whole way of understanding everything. And there really is no other way to understand what Jesus is saying here. And to think that somehow man can manufacture spiritual birth in order, in, 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 this is in others, like, you know, somehow if we just say the right words, we can make people re, be reborn. That, that's contrary to what Jesus is saying here. This is from God. Now, well, I can almost imagine Nicodemus staring at Jesus, sort of slack jawed, in disbelief. At Jesus' words. Like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus goes on, you know, Nicodemus is sort of silent here, but you can almost imagine that. And so Jesus is almost responding. He says, Do not marvel that I've said to you, you must be born again. Don't, you know, don't stand there all slack jawed. I mean, I'm giving you the teaching. Don't marvel at this. This shouldn't have been any surprise to Nicodemus. I mean, the scriptures speak of these things already. It's all there, Nicodemus. It's all there. Note, too, that Jesus here uses the second person plural. Now, that's, you know, we, we can't see that in our English translations, but that's what's, that's what's there. You know, y'all must be born again, to use the nomenclature of our area, right? Or you all, if you're in the upper Midwest, I guess they would say that. It, you know, at any rate, the second person plural, you all must be born again. And so Jesus includes here, not only Nicodemus, you must be born again, but he's, he's including the entire human race. All who are to be saved, all who are to see the kingdom of God must be born again, must be born from above, must be born of water spirit. Spiritual rebirth, we see, is an act of God's spirit who does as he pleases. And Jesus says, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is still driving at the same, the same thing here. Jesus then draw, here is drawing an analogy between uh, the wind and the Spirit, where the natural world illustrates for us a, the spiritual world. Now when the wind blows... You might see the trees sway. You might see the leaves blow about. We're going to see more of that as the weather begins to cool. I know there's some of us who don't really want that to happen, but others of you are, are excited about that. You see the wind, the, the leaves blow around. Of course, that means you've got to rake those leaves. You see the dust get kicked up, but you don't actually see the wind itself, right? You see the effects of the wind. You don't actually see the wind, This is the way it is with the Spirit. Like the wind, the Spirit cannot be seen. 
We do not know where the Spirit will go or what the Spirit is going to do, but we do see the effects of the Spirit in the lives of people. We can see the work of the Spirit transforming people's hearts. And you and I can't control the Spirit. The Spirit does as He pleases. Again, contrary to what some people in our day seem to think, where they, you know, well, you know, I can, I can manipulate the Spirit. No, you can't. Jesus says so in John chapter 3. The Spirit does as He pleases. And you will see the impact the Spirit has. But He will do as He pleases. Spirit, when the Spirit works, beloved congregation, His effects are undeniable and unmistakable. You will know. You will see. The person born of the Spirit will have unmistakable qualities about them. They will be different. And you, you've probably uh, experienced this. Haven't you ever experienced where you've, you've met somebody for the first time, you know, not in a church context, just out somewhere, and you're like, this is a believer. Like, you just know it. There's something about believers. People who have the Spirit are different. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that the person doesn't sin. You and I still struggle and fail to uphold God's requirements. We, we struggle with our own sin. But the Spirit-transformed person will have a, a repentant heart. They will be sensitive to their sins. They will have new desires for the things of God. Not that they do, you do it all perfectly, but when they, when they recognize in themselves how they fall short. And they repent of that. They desire the things of God. Like the wind-blown leaves of autumn, you will see the effects of the Spirit in their life. And you should see the effects of the Spirit in your own life, too. Now, as already stated, Nicodemus does not understand Verse 9, he says, how can these things be? Now, his question isn't really, how can this be? But rather, how can this happen? That's really what he's asking. How can this happen? Now, as a teacher in Israel, as a Pharisee, he had undoubtedly taught that the the necessary conditions for entrance into the kingdom are cast in terms of obedience to the commands of God, submitting to God's will, devotion to God, and absolute obedience. And here, he is faced with a seemingly new condition that he had never considered before, the necessity of spiritual rebirth. Even the other requirements cannot be fulfilled by man. You know, the requirements that Nicodemus see, it's not that they were untrue, they're just impossible. Human beings are spiritually dead in our sin and trespasses. And so what is needed is spiritual rebirth by Christ, in Christ. Now Nicodemus, of course, wasn't going to understand all of that, but he should have understood the need for spiritual birth. And so Jesus' response to him indicates that Nicodemus' question wasn't one of curious inquiry. It was an incredulity. You know, how can this happen? How could this possibly happen? What am I supposed to do with my personal obedience? Isn't enough. And Jesus' response then, verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You know, as a, in his role as a teacher, Nicodemus should have understood... And therefore taught the awesome saving work of God. I mean, he should have understood this. You see it throughout. Isn't God the one who saves Israel from Egypt? 
And that's just one of many examples. You note the definite article, the teacher of Israel. He's, in a sense, he's saying this, Nicodemus, you are the esteemed reverend doctor of Israel, and you don't understand these things? I mean, if you don't get it, it's no wonder nobody else gets it, right? You're the teacher. Now, there is no further response from Nicodemus, and so the dialogue morphs into a monologue, and we will see later that it seems to merge with the words of the evangelist John. But Jesus says... Very truly, again, amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, Nicodemus, remember, Nicodemus had begun this dialogue by saying this, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And now Jesus is explaining what there is to know. Oh, we know, and and Jesus is telling him, like, "Mm, yeah, you really don't know, but let me tell you what we know. Here's what there is to know. We speak of what we know. We bear witness of what we have seen. Remember those insurance commercials? We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Jesus knows a thing or two about these things. The problem is they, that is Nicodemus and those in his camp, didn't receive it. Nicodemus is having a hard time. Now again, remember, he's still in that camp of of belief, and yet he doesn't understand a lot of things. The teacher of Israel had found Jesus' teachings to be very difficult. He had come to Jesus with a certain level of respect, and yet he had not begun to appreciate who Jesus really was. He could not understand earthly things he couldn't understand the, earthly, the earthiness of spiritual rebirth. Now this is earthy not because it, it isn't from above, it's born from above, but because it's the sort of thing which happens on earth. Right? The heart change takes place among living, breathing human beings here on earth. And teaching with Je- the teaching of Jesus then on the new birth, this is, this is elementary stuff. Right? This is like grammar school stuff. This, should, this is very basic. If Nicodemus can't understand this, and again, he's the teacher of Israel, how can he understand anything of the kingdom? How can he understand new heavens and new earth? How can he understand the splendors of glory? How can he understand all of the heavenly things under the eternal and glorious rule of our Lord? How could, how could, how, how could he understand any of that? How can he grasp these complex issues if he can't even understand the most basic of being born again, of water and spirit, of inward renewal, of God transforming your life and giving you a new heart? And the implication, of course, is he can't. He can't under you can't grasp any of these other things until you get that very basic thing. And Jesus will go on to explain how he is able to speak with authority on these spiritual matters. In a way, he's answering things that, he had, that had been asked him before. You, know, you need to bring us a sign, show us why you have authority. Jesus is like, I'm going to tell you about my authority. But we'll deal with those in the future. The main takeaway for us today is this. Spiritual rebirth 
is an absolute necessity for entrance into the kingdom of God. The transforming work is the work of God and not of man. It's not our, our own personal obedience which grants us into the kingdom. It is not our doing good. It's not anything that we can point out in ourselves. Like, well, see, look how great I am. That's why I should... No. No. It's spiritual rebirth from God. It's regeneration. It's Christ's Spirit redeeming us. The, the redemption purchased from, by Christ being applied to us by His Spirit, granting us true saving faith. And as a transformed person, we desire then to live obedient, to do those things which please God. But those are just lag indicators. You know, those are the effects of the Spirit that we see. Just as, just as you see the, wind, the, the leaves blowing around being the effects of the wind. The, these things in our life, these are, the, these are the, how the, the Spirit has worked. We see the outcome, right? Those are lag indicators. But it is God who saves. And it is God who keeps us. Because God always keeps His promises. Beloved congregation, pray that God would pour out His Spirit upon this community, upon this nation, upon every nation, and that we might be faithful to proclaim the good news of the Messiah, of the King, who has come to bring spiritual renewal and to bring His people into His kingdom. Let's pray. Gracious Father in Heaven, we thank You, O God, for Your many blessings. We thank You that it is Your work of salvation. That it is you who brings spiritual renewal. It is you who saves. Oh God, may we walk in humility, understanding these things. May we rest in our Savior Jesus today, every day, and to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.